If we are just trying to force them through our hoops, through our way, through our sales methodology, we are going to be left behind. That's a scary place to be. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. We're back with another episode of the B2B MX podcast, and I'm really excited because we're going strong with our speaker introductions on the pod again this week. B2B MX is coming up so quickly, and I'm just so excited, so I wanted to to give some of our all-star speakers a chance to introduce themselves before they hit the B2B MX stage at the end of the month. So this week, we have Marcus Sheridan, owner of Marcus Sheridan International, author, and keynote speaker extraordinaire. And I'm not gonna lie, I've been trying to get Marcus to speak at B2B MX ever since I saw him. I think it was a really random user conference back in like 2018 or 2019. I can't remember 100% what year it was, but it's been a while and I'm just so thrilled that all the stars are aligned this year and Marcus will be joining us in Scottsdale to deliver our first keynote of the event. And he's even gonna host a very unique workshop for our all access pass holders. So Marcus, how is it going? Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm just excited for an excuse to go to Arizona, Claudia. So it's a good day. It's a very good day. Yeah, me too. I mean, Scottsdale in February, especially if you are where I live on the East Coast is a treat. So I'm so glad the higher ups above at our company decided to host this conference in Arizona. And I'm just so excited to have you there. Before we dive in, I would assume that you don't need much of an introduction, but maybe some of our audience doesn't know you too well. So tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your company, and even the books you wrote. Yeah, what I'm really known for is, of course, the book they ask you answer. It's now sold about 150,000 copies around the globe, and it's, it's been really fun to watch. It's doing better today than when it came out four years ago. The revised edition came out in 2019, a couple of years later. And so many, now thousands of companies, have adopted the principles of They Ask You Answer as their core, let's call it digital sales and marketing strategy within their company, probably at least half of which are B2B, right? So it's really nice because I've got an agency that helps companies implement They Ask You Answer, right? And for more than half of our clients, they're B2B. And so we get this chance to see, okay, so what's the stuff that B2B companies are doing online that is resonating the most? What are the trends and what are the ways that we can adjust to the marketplace and what their demands are? And so I'm constantly swimming in this stuff, right? And I love it. I own a few companies myself. And so I'm very much doing the thing, right? And not just talking about the thing, which I think is nice because the audience in Arizona is going to have a peer of theirs that's a, you know, a practitioner, an implementer. And I'm just incredibly passionate about earning trust online. I think ultimately that's what I'm teaching businesses and people how to do is how can you become the most trusted voice in your space? And if we boil everything down to trust, it's nice too, because we know that trust is going to be fundamental to our business in 20 years, not just today, right? So that's a very timeless principle. Whereas I think a lot of the stuff that we sometimes talk about as marketers, we don't know if it's going to be very relevant in five years, but we do know trust is. And so if we really build a strategy around that, we're probably going to be very, very successful. 
I love that. And I will definitely want to touch on that a little bit later. But you mentioned swimming. And there was one fun fact that I learned about you when I first heard you speak. And you started off as a pool salesman. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people know me as the pool guy, right? And I still have my company, River Pools and Spas, which has the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. I love that. That's awesome. And I, I thought the story was just fascinating. How did it all get started? You started this company from the beginning, right? Yeah, 2001 with two buddies. I was right out of college and I didn't actually know what I wanted to do with my career at that time. And they had just started the swimming pool company and said, hey, do you want to run our retail store while we're installing pools in the field? And I said, yeah, sure, until I figure out what I want to do with my life. And so I ended up becoming a partner with them six months later, right? And then in 2008, 2009, market crashes. I thought I was going to lose the business. And that's when... I started to really lean into the internet and just read all those fancy phrases at the time to me, inbound marketing, content marketing, social media, HubSpot, all that stuff. And you know, what I heard in my simple pool guy mind at the time was, Marcus, if you just obsess over your customers' questions, worries, fears, concerns, and you're willing to address them on your website, honestly, transparently, you might save your business. So I said, well, shoot, I mean, if there's one thing I can do is listen and address these questions. I was a pretty decent teacher, right? So I just brainstormed every major question that I could think of that anybody would ask about a pool. And every night for two straight years, I started answering those questions through text and video on my site, honestly, transparently, thoroughly as possible through text, through video. And shortly thereafter, like I said, we became the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. And it was going so well, Claudia, that I, I just had to talk about what I was doing. So I started a personal blog. At the time, I called it The Sales Lion. And eventually, people started saying to me, can you show me how to do that thing you do with your pool company? And then others would say, can you share from our stage at our event that story? And so it led to me having a full-time career as a speaker and having an agency. The agency today is impactplus.com. We've got about 65 employees there. So it's this, it's been an amazing ride. I still have the swimming pool company, got the agency, and I get to go to places like Scottsdale. That's so awesome. I just, I love that story and it's just so inspiring. And obviously we've gone through massive change, not just in the past two years, right? But just ever since you started, I'm sure so much has changed since your early days. So talk about what you learned back then that is still is a key focus for you all of these years and a whole pandemic later. It's funny to me, when I came out, they asked you answer, people said, oh, that's a short-lived strategy. And I said, oh, okay, interesting. So you're telling me that listening really well and understanding the questions, worries, fears, issues, concerns of your customers is going to become outdated? Is it really? And, uh, and people say, well, I, I mean, I guess not, but you know, there's always a but. And let's be honest, in the B2B space, there are some fundamental problems across the board, with the biggest being, hey, I think our business is the exception to the rule. I think our buyer's different. I think our sales process is different. And fundamentally, when all is said and done, we're all in the same battle for trust, as, as I mentioned before. That's not changed. It's never going to change. And we continue to see certain principles and strategies haven't changed in the 10 years I've been teaching They Ask You Answer. So for example, there's still five subjects that move the needle more than any other when it comes to content strategy online across the board. Five major subjects. We call them the big five in the book. Of course, I'm going to talk about them in my um, keynote, but they're cost questions. Problems, questions, or negatives, 
comparison questions, reviews, and best. That's what they're asking about. And still to this day, so many B2B companies aren't willing to talk about it. They're the ostrich with their head in the sand. And so we've got to stop that. And we've got to say, okay, if we want to become the voice of trust in our space, can we really ignore the questions that our buyers have? The answer is no. Now, the caveat becomes, how do we address those questions? And that's always, the question should never be, should we address that question? The answer is yes, because somebody wants to know. The marketplace is asking, and today's buyer demands it. So that should never be the question. The question should be, what is the best way to address that? In this case, on our website, right? How do we do that the right way? Whether it's a customized solution, right? Whether it's a very bespoke service that we offer, it doesn't matter. We need to find the best way. So that's never going to change. What also hasn't changed is the need to show it, not just tell it, which is, of course, video. The fundamental need to become great with video, I still think, is way behind in the B2B space. I think another fundamental that hasn't changed, and this is the same across all organizations is the silos that exist between sales and marketing. That's a problem. That's got to get better. Sales has to be more, not just aligned with marketing, but they have to be active with marketing. They should be doing what today might be considered marketing-based activity, but it's there's such a blurry line now. It's a big overlap between sales and marketing. So sales has to be a part of marketing. Marketing needs to be seen as part of sales, more of a revenue team, if you will. So that has become more true over the course of these 10 years. And the other thing that's, I think, more true than ever, are buyers are just bloody impatient. They want stinking stuff fast, whether it's the answer, whether it's the ability to buy it, the ability to find out that thing, whatever that is. Boy, if we are just trying to force them through our hoops, through our way, through our sales methodology, we are going to be left behind. That's a scary place to be. Hey, marketers, you've been waiting for it, and it's finally happening. The B2B Marketing Exchange is back in person in Scottsdale. If you're a fan of the conversations we share on the B2BMX podcast, this event is literally made for you. Get a front row seat at sessions that will challenge everything you think you know about marketing. Plus, you'll finally get back to in-person networking in a safe, comfortable environment. As a B2BMX podcast listener, you'll get 50% off your ticket by using the code B2BMXPOD during registration. Check out the show notes for more information or head to b2bmarketing.exchange to register now. Buyers are also becoming so much more self-serving, right? They want more of that self-service experience. And we want to build that trust, right? You said, you know, it all boils down to trust. It'll always be relevant. And building and providing value to the buyer and establishing a relationship is critical, right? But now all these buyers are self-service. They really don't want to speak to a salesperson right away. They're so much more informed than ever before. So what advice would you give professionals these days on how to push past these barriers and build that relationship with the self-service buyer. So there's a stat that recently came out by Gartner, which I think is one of the most telling that every B2B should be paying attention to right now, which is 33% of all buyers say they would prefer to have a seller-free sales experience. That number is 44% for millennials. And the number is going up by the day for all of us. If you talk to just about anyone and you say to them, Do you want to dictate the sales process? The answer is yes. We don't want to have it dictated to us. 
This is why today it's a buying process, not a sales process. So as this is now the clear trend, businesses have to say, okay, buyers want to be able to do more things, make more decisions without talking to a human first. How do we facilitate that? Well, that's self-service. What does self-service look like? Self-service is the process of allowing people on your website, visitors, to do things normally that would require talking to a human. Now, this is a little tricky because what happens is sales can push back on this because they think they're going to lose control, when in reality, they never had control, certainly not since the advent of the internet, and they're losing more and more. So they have to stop that. Plus, we have to say, is it more important that we're dictating the terms or that we have a great user and customer experience? And so we're either going to align ourselves with the buyers or not. What are we going to do? So once we do that, we say, okay, self-service is the way. And so there's three types of self-service for websites. One, self-scheduling tools, which gives someone the ability to schedule time with you, your company, a salesperson, whatever, without having to talk to someone first. The second one's called a self-selection tool, as I call it, which is the process of getting an answer for a common question that normally requires, again, talking to a person. And so let's just get, use a silly example here, okay, just to paint what that would look like. Let's say you're HubSpot, because that's one that everybody probably has heard of before, and HubSpot has different levels of their product. And so a business goes to HubSpot, and they're on their website, and they're saying, hmm, I'm not sure which one of these levels of HubSpot is the right level for me. In a perfect world, what HubSpot has is they have a series of questions on the site, essentially an interactive assessment tool, if you will that by somebody inputting honest answers to unbiased questions, HubSpot would spit out, hey, based on what you just said, you should use such and such package of HubSpot. Okay? That's self-selection. In the past, they had to talk to a salesperson to get that. Buyer doesn't want that now. Not if they don't have to. So HubSpot's going to get a million more leads if they do that. But again, most B2Bs don't do that because they don't want to lose the control. Now, the third means of self-service is what we call self-pricing tools. Now, this is the one that gets everybody all riled up, which are calculators and the like. And of course, I'm going to talk a lot about how we do that. We've got to be willing to talk about price, especially if you're a B2B service-based business and you can get away without talking about cost and price from your website going forward. You're not living in 2022. You're not accepting the realities of today's buyer. You're not accepting how you yourself have changed. And so we're talking about how you can safely and effectively do that with pricing calculators. I don't care what you sell. You're going to see how to do that at this event. Awesome. Awesome. And not only you're going to cover some of that in the keynote, right? You also have this workshop and that's kind of more focused on essentially mastering the art of virtual selling, right? And I love this topic because obviously I'm not a salesperson, but I can imagine selling through a screen is so much different than selling in person, face-to-face at events, all that. So what are some differences and how can sales reps who have become so comfortable with the old ways of selling and how can they adjust to this new virtual selling experience? Yeah, there's a lot here to that. And what I'm going to do in that workshop is we're going to make sure that we approach virtual selling from a, from a sales and marketing standpoint, because marketers have to be virtual selling experts. Salespeople have to be virtual selling experts. Many of the best practices overlap, if you will. And furthermore, 
this is really gets really critical, Claudia. It's generally successful implementation only happens if marketing is heavily involved in coaching the sales team how to do this. So as an example, is your sales team right now doing one-to-one video? Well, if they're not, why are they not? Well, it's a good chance they haven't been trained on how. They don't know the why behind it. Who's going to do that? Well, unless you bring in Marcus Sheridan, you need to do that in-house, right? And so make sure you as a marketing team know how to do this, know how to train this, and you're doing it yourselves. That's one example. Another example is what's, what's interesting to me is I've personally reviewed over a thousand sales calls since the start of COVID that were recorded sales calls. Everybody has the same bad habits. Everybody does. They think they don't. In fact, we all think we're really good at Zoom by this point because we're tired of it, right? So we think I'm comfortable with it. Fact is we threw our sales teams into this. They weren't well prepared. Many of them are still not able to deliver that transformational experience that you'd want to have like they did in person. So we need to teach them how to do that. And again, a lot of it starts with marketing. And marketing needs to help supply the tools, techniques around that. We're going to talk about that. We're going to go into that. And then there's just other elements. The self-service is, of course, a big part of this because how does that perfectly mesh from a sales and marketing standpoint? And what's sales involvement with that? So this is just going to be a really great, like, get your elbows dirty workshop, ton of takeaways. And virtual selling is, we're just tapping into it as a society. And I just hope, my one fear is a marketer hears that and says, well, that's not my thing. And no, that is your thing. That's your whole, whole career going forward. That's all of our careers going forward is we've got to be amazing with this thing called virtual selling. Yeah, it's not going away at all. Even if, let's say, everything goes back to 100% normal from way before the pandemic, right? It's not going away regardless. So everybody's got to pay attention, that's for sure. All right, well, you know, we've been talking about it. We're finally returning to Scottsdale. We've been doing a ton of virtual events. I'm sure you've spoken at a bunch of virtual events or just participated in in virtual event experiences. So tell me a little bit about your experience and what do you wish would stay and then what should we completely just like forget about in terms of just hosting events virtually? I know we're going into this hybrid world now. What does that look like for you? I love this subject, right? I mean, I've done a lot of virtual events, I've done a lot of in-persons even since uh, last year. I mean, I've done actually still done a decent amount. I mean, in-person is never going to go away, right? I don't think hybrid's ever going to go away. I think we're going to always have some virtual, but there are some things that we just need to change. General rule of thumb I like to give to virtual event organizers is this. Listen, if somebody could have watched the recording and they got the same value, what the heck are you doing? Making it a live event. If your goal is for them to watch a valuable recording, well, create a recording. If your goal is to create an interactive experience, make it an interactive experience. But when I am asked to speak on a virtual event and then I say, great, how do I get to interact with the audience? And they say, well, you don't have that capability. What the heck are we doing? I might as well just do a recording at that point. There's no value to live in that moment. Live means they feel like they would have missed something had they watched it later, right? And so I think we need to keep that in mind. People say engagement, but they don't really do it. Engagement on virtual events means literally there is some back and forth. I think this is absolutely critical. And say, I would just say, depending on the size of the event, 
if you can have, let's say, if it's a really small event and it's 30 to 40 people max, I'd say always keep your cameras on. Always keep your cameras on if you can. Now, after that point, you do have some diminishing returns, right? You do have some diminishing returns. But just there's something magic still about seeing people's eyes and their faces. I don't think we should ever forget that. One thing about the hybrid events, I just want to say too, I have to be really careful with hybrid events. I've seen it where speakers make the mistake of they don't really know who they're speaking to. Am I speaking to the online audience or am I speaking to the in-person audience right now? And if you just shun one for the other, you're going to create a bad user experience. So what has to happen for a great live streamed event, in my opinion, is let's say I'm a keynote, right? If I'm a keynote, I'm talking to the audience that's in the room in front of me. But how it needs to work is somebody has to follow me with that live camera and they should make it feel like you're on the floor with that speaker. That's what it needs to feel like. And that side of production hasn't developed enough yet. A lot of these AV teams really don't know how to pull that off very well. Yeah, there's definitely still so, so much to learn. And again, it's going to be a learning experience for everyone. And I don't think anybody's going to get it down perfectly at first shot, right? Yeah, I mean, look, if we've learned anything, it's like embrace the messy of the 2020s, folks, right? It's going to be freaking messy. But if you have that mindset, you're consistently failing forward, right? And that's what's happening as we embrace all these new ways that we do digital sales and marketing right now. If you go into it thinking it's got to be flawless, you're going to quit. Like if you think we better be flawless on video, eh, you better not ever do video, right? We're going to be flawless with our self-service. You better not try it. The companies today that are the most successful, that are adjusting the best, they just have this ability to evolve quickly. And they're just like, huh? That didn't work. Cool. Okay. What's next? What do we learn? And that sounds cliche, but it's so, so stinking true. Yeah. And you could apply that to honestly, a lot of things in life as well, which is great. So that's really all the questions I have for you today, Marcus. Thank you so much for joining me. Any final thoughts, anything else to say, anything else to add around why you're excited to be at Scottsdale? Any final words? Yeah. I would just say to everybody that if you're still debating on coming, it's just one of those things where some of us have forgotten the power of being fully immersed in an experience, a learning experience, where we just stop multitasking. The one struggle with virtual is that no matter what, we always tend to multitask. And not that you can't get a ton of value if you're a good focused person. What I'm excited about with Scottsdale when we're in that room together is that hopefully we're all just going to be completely all in in that moment. As the old saying goes, wherever you are, be there, right? We need to learn that for virtual. We're going to be able to do that. And some people are already starting to do that. I'm also excited just for the side conversations. That's the magic, right? That's the magic. The conversations in the halls, it's just like just some whimsical moment. And all of a sudden, you just, you meet someone or you learn something and you're like, wow, that's why, that's why I came to this event. And last thing I'm going to say, if you're at my talk, if you attend it live or virtual, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to have a lot of takeaways. That's it. 
it is going to be so many stinking takeaways. It's not theory, folks. I'm not into that. It's not going to help you as a marketer. Marketers that like espouse theory all day long, eventually they get called to the carpet by their CFO. So marketers have to do things right now that generate revenue for the company, right? No longer is just leads. Revenue for the company. We got to generate it. We're going to show how to generate revenue for the company. That's why I'm excited about it. And that's why I'm coming to Scottsdale. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome stuff. I'm so excited for this. You have no idea. And folks, that's the mic drop moment right there. Thank you so much, Marcus, for joining me today. And thank you all so much for tuning into today's episode. That is a wrap. If you enjoyed this conversation, obviously you want to be in Scottsdale with us. So the link to register for B2BMX is in our show notes. There's still plenty of time to join us. So I really, really hope to see you there. And of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. you don't miss any new episodes just like this one. We're available on, obviously, your podcast player of choice. We're on them all. And of course, catch us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Share any feedback you have. Let us know who else you want to hear from on the pod. And or just, you know, come on to LinkedIn and say hi to me at least. All right. So thank you, everyone. Once again, thank you, Marcus. I will catch you all next week. <laughs>